Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 12 of Eclipse titled Time. Time after time. So where we left off, Bella was hanging out with Jacob and we got all that cultural appropriation. And now it looks like it's a few days later. We're starting chapter 12 and Alice is doing like a fake fortune teller little bit. She's doing a bit. She's like, I have foreseen. And she's trying to be all theatrical. And then Edward elbows her in the ribs and he's like, snap out of it. Snap out of it. And she says, fine. Okay, look, Bella. What's going to happen is we're going to have a graduation party. I have foreseen that it would be more difficult if I surprised you. So I'm I'm just having out with it. We're having a party for graduation. Surprise. And Bella sighs and she says, oh, is there any point in arguing? She's so easy to convince to do anything because she can never be bothered arguing. Oh, is there any point in arguing? Yes. Yes. If you don't want to have a party, don't have a party. Just like she got dragged to prom and she was like, oh, I can't possibly resist Alice's ways. Just tell the bitch no. But she says, okay, Alice, I'll be there and I'll hate every minute of it, promise. And Alice is like, yeah, I don't really care if you enjoy yourself or not. This is about me. And she says, oh, and by the way, love my gift. You shouldn't have. And she says, Alice, I didn't buy any gift. And she goes, oh, I know, but you will. Oh, this fortune teller shtick again. She hasn't even bought anything. So how has she made the decision to buy anything? So how does Alice know? And Bella says, I racked my brains in panic, trying to remember whatever I decided to get at her graduation that she might've seen. So if you can't remember it, obviously you haven't decided on something, right? And then Bella's like, oh, could you have waited a few weeks to tell me about this party? Like, I don't want to be too prepared too soon. And they're like staring at her being like, um, Bella, what day do you think it is? And she says, Monday. And they're like, yeah, Monday, Monday the 4th. And she's like, yeah, the 4th. And they're like, the 4th of June, Bella. And she goes, no, it's not. She goes, the 4th of June. Are you sure it's of June? And they're like, yes, it's the date. What month did you think it was? Like to not know what month you're in. I'm suspicious that there's something going on with Bella because when it's like the first week of January and you're still writing down the wrong date, you're still writing 2021, even though it's 2022. I get that. That's relatable. But when you're in June and you don't know that you're in June, like that's a bit of a worry. And then being like, do you know what 
day it is. It just reminds me of the other day. I went and visited my sister who had like time off work and I went to their house at like noon and she was sitting there in her PJs, just watching the winter Olympics, living a life. And I said, do you know what time it is? And she says, it's like 1030. And I was like, 1030? It's noon. It's lunchtime. I'm visiting you in my lunch break. And she says, oh, I thought it was 1030. And I was like, what? How can you be so out of it? Like every device that you own has a clock. How can the day escape you so much? I'll, I'll, I'll never know. So Bella, she's blindsided. Just let my sister had no freaking clue that it was lunchtime. She's blindsided that it's June. She says, it can't be. How did that happen? Well, Bella, generally June follows May. You go to sleep at night, you wake up in the morning and it's magically the next day. Like, what do you mean? How did that happen? How did the passage of time happen? And she says, I tried to count backwards in my head, but I couldn't figure out where the days had gone. I don't know, guys. I think there might be some sort of early onset thing happening here. She says, I feel like someone had kicked my legs out from under me. She can't believe that it's graduation next week because she's like not prepared for it. Like, first of all, aren't there like posters for graduation all around the school? Aren't people talking about this? How can you miss it completely? And she's stressing about not knowing how to say goodbye to Charlie, to Renee, to Jacob, to being human. Isn't that all you've been thinking about for the past few months? You're the one that wants to do it immediately. Everyone else is telling you to wait, take a gap year. You're the one that's pushing this agenda. And, and, and she's shocked. It's so sprung up on her. How does she do it? Well, then change your mind then. She says, in theory, it all makes sense. But in practice, being human was all I knew. <laughs> it was all I knew. Yeah, you're that different to everybody else in the world. The future beyond that was a big dark abyss that I couldn't know until I leaped into it. That's graduation, babe. It's a rite of passage. Everyone's going through it. Maybe not to the same supernatural extent, but still your experience isn't unique. And then she says, oh, the simple knowledge, today's date, which was so obvious that I must've been subconsciously repressing it. Oh God, this again, her and her subconscious. The last time she was repressing things, she started imagining her boyfriend talking to her in ghost form. Like, uh, I don't trust her subconscious. Her subconscious tends to act out in weird and wonderful ways. But she says the deadline feels like a date with the firing squad. And then she's just in a daze for the rest of the afternoon. Next thing she knows, she's at her house. And her and Edward are just sitting on the couch, just not talking. She's just staring at the window, musing. She's just musing about... And Edward finally is like, oh my God, can you tell me what the hell's going on? What the hell? And she says, oh, the date took me off guard. That's all. The date took her off guard. The, da- the month took her off guard. She couldn't believe the month. Like I get if you're going about your day thinking it's a Thursday and you find out it's a Wednesday, you're going to be mildly disappointed. I understand that, but she got the whole month wrong. And Edward clocks it finally. He's like, oh, you're not ready. And she says, yeah, I am but she tells us that she's lying about it because yeah, she's not ready. And she basically just says, I can't wait because there's Victoria, there's Jane, there's the Volturi, whoever was in my room. And Edward tries to talk her off the ledge. He's like, don't worry about it. There's no rush. We'll take care of whatever problems come. I'll take care of you. When we're through it and there's nothing forcing your hand, then we can decide what you want to do. But let's not do it because you're forced into it. And then she says, can I ask you something? And he's like, yeah, shoot. And she says, what am I getting Alice for graduation? Oh, she doesn't even know. Alice knows before she knows. Like, that's just ridiculous. 
Although she doesn't know the date, so <sighs> who knows? And he says, well, it looks like you were going to get us both concert tickets. And she says, oh, that's right. The concert in Tacoma. I saw an ad in the paper last week and I thought it would be something you'd like since you said it was a good CD. Now, doesn't that sentence take you back? I saw an ad in the paper and you said it was a good CD. I mean, kids just don't talk like that these days. They'd say, oh, I saw a sponsored ad in my TikTok feed. That's what they'd say. Oh, I miss the old days. But then Edward's like, okay, but that's not really what you wanted to ask, right? And she says, "Mm, okay, why don't you want me to be a vampire? Why is it that you feel that way? And he's like, oh, if I answer your question, will you then explain your question? Oh God, I think, I think they've both been very clear, but okay, let's just regurgitate the whole thing over again. Edward starts banging on about her soul. He really wants to have an eternal life with her, but he thinks he's selfish for thinking that way because she has to give up her soul. Da-da-da-da-da-da, we've been there before. But for her, it's like the first time she's hearing it. She's like, wow, he must really like me. (sighs) And she says, so it's not that you're afraid you won't like me as much when I'm different, when I'm not soft and warm and I don't smell the same. You really do want to keep me no matter how I turn out. I'm thinking, Bella, I thought you thought you would become more beautiful. Like, doesn't she have an inferiority complex about Rosalie and everything? I thought she wanted to become a vampire so that she'd be pretty enough for him. But now she's like, oh, well, you still want me when I'm not human? Like, where did this come from? Has she just changed her perspective overnight? And then Edward says, Bella, you can be so obtuse. I don't think you realize how much easier it will be for me, Bella, when I don't have to concentrate all the time on not killing you. Yeah, how did she miss that one? I thought that was clear. I thought she's given that to us as a reason for her wanting to be a vampire earlier on in this book. If I had the energy, I'd go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure she was saying shit like, oh, it'll be easier for him once I'm a vampire. But now he's saying it and she's like, wow, that's a good point. But he says, oh, there's things I'll miss. This for one, and he's referring to her blushed cheeks. And he says, end the sound of your heart. It's the most significant sound in my world. I'm so attuned to it now. I swear I could pick it out from miles away. Okay, but I, I do think heartbeats all sort of sound the same, right? Like I understand that different hearts have different rhythms, but generally a heartbeat is a heartbeat. And he says, you, Bella, it'll always be you. I'm in it for you. Ugh, ugh. And he says, all right, well, answer me a question. Why don't you want to be my wife? And she says, oh, it's embarrassing. That's why. And Edward's like, what? I don't, what? I'm not following. And she says, I'm not that girl, Edward, the one who gets married right out of high school like some small town hick who got knocked up by a boyfriend. Do you know what people would think? Do you realize what century this is? People don't just get married at 18. Not smart people, not responsible, mature people. I wasn't going to be that girl. That's not who I am. Okay, this is the girl that flew all the way to Italy to stop him from walking into the sunlight that had a full on psychotic break and almost died of exposure in the forest when she got dumped. This is the girl that is willingly getting kidnapped every weekend just so she can do what her boyfriend wants her to do. Oh, but she's not that girl. Oh, she's not that girl who's obsessed with boys. I I think you are, Bella. I don't think being married changes anything. It's so odd that she has this vendetta against just the technicality of being married, but she wants to spend her life with him and every day with him and have him sneak into her bedroom every night. Like, what's the difference then? 
And Edward says, oh, okay. So it's not that you were more eager for immortality itself than for just me. And she's like, Edward, no. Oh, and they're finally communicating. (sighs) If they just communicated like this in the first place, maybe the previous few books would never have ever happened. She says, Edward, there's no point to forever without you. I wouldn't want one day without you. Oh, then just marry him. Like, oh, who gives a shit at this point? And Edward says, you see, Bella, I was always that boy. In my world, I was already a man, blah, blah, blah. Basically, he's saying, I was that boy who would have, as soon as I discovered that you were what I was looking for, gotten down on one knee and endeavored to secure your hand. I would have wanted you for eternity, even when the world didn't have quite the same connotations. Oh, how heartwarming. A boy who's not afraid of commitment. There's your supernatural being. Now I know Stephanie's writing fiction. And he says, can you see my side, Bella, even a little bit? And she says, for one second, I could. I saw myself in a long skirt and a high-necked lace blouse with my hair piled up on my head. (laughs) What? (laughs) He just said, can you see my perspective in that I want to marry you? No one said anything about a high-necked lace blouse. (laughs) What? And a skirt? Where did that come from? And she says, I see Edward looking dashing in a light suit with the bouquet of wildflowers in his hand, sitting beside me on a porch swing. Why is he nursing flowers on a porch swing? Put the flowers down. You're on a swing. He just said why he wanted to marry you. No one mentioned a porch swing. So basically they don't get to a resolution on that. He just reiterates, if you want me to change you, we got to get married first. And she just... Doesn't agree to it, but doesn't disagree to it. And we leave it there. And then we have like a little fast forward. She says, time continued to move fast. The next day she goes down for breakfast. Charlie's already gone. She sees the newspaper on the table and she says, oh, I better check the paper. I hoped the ad for the concert was still running. I needed the phone number to get the stupid tickets. Oh gosh. Can you not Google it? She's got to check the paper for a phone number to get the tickets. Just pop it into Google. And then what do you know? The headline on the front of the paper catches her attention. Seattle terrorized by slayings. And then she reads this whole big newspaper article giving us a history of serial killers in America and in Seattle in particular and about how all these deaths are happening locally. And the journalist, who's a very shitty journalist, if I may say so, they say there are enough similarities in these killings to serial killer killings that rule out these killings being unrelated crimes. Yeah, they, they say it just as eloquently, but longer. So every victim has been burned to the extent that dental records were necessary for identification. All the bodies have been dumped carelessly with no attempt at concealment. And most of the remains show evidence of brutal violence. And all of the crimes happened at night. And most alarmingly, things are accelerating. There was a few murders in the first month, a few more in the second month, and now 22 have occurred in the last 10 days alone. And the journo says, only one conclusion is indisputable. Something hideous is stalking Seattle. So then Edward's there. He just lets himself into the kitchen and she's like, oh my God, have you seen this? And he says, oh, I haven't seen today's news, but yeah, it is getting pretty bad, isn't it? It's like, oh God, could these vampires, these Cullens be more careless? And Bella says, well, what does Alice say about it all? Oh God, yeah, let's rely on Alice. He says, that's the problem. She can't see anything. 
Though we've made up our minds half a dozen times to check it out, she's starting to lose confidence. She feels like she's missing too much these days, that something's wrong, that maybe her vision is slipping away. And yet she knew about the concert tickets. <laughs> how can this be? And Bella says, how, how does that happen? How can she not see anything when then there's all these fucking murders happening in Seattle? And he says, who knows? And like, okay, so she can't see with her special powers. What's from stopping one of you from just going up the road to Seattle and looking with your own eyes? Maybe this is a sign that you need to stop depending on Alice. And Bella says, what's going on with Alice then? And he says, I don't know. I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We keep waiting for Alice to see something so we can go. And she doesn't see anything because we won't really go until she does. So she can't see us there. Oh, for fucks. Then break the chain. One of you just go up there. Maybe get her to stop planning graduation parties. And so then Edward says, all right, let's go skip class for the day. Let's go talk to Jasper. And she's like, oh my God, Jasper. In the Cullen family, Jasper was always a little on the fringe. Part of things, but never the center of them. Yeah, except for your birthday party when he almost tried to kill you. So she's wondering about Jasper's history because Edward had teased that for us earlier. So they go to the Cullens' house and they're all talking about the Seattle gangland killings. And Edward's like, hey, Carlisle, did you see they're considering a serial killer now? And Carlisle's sighing. He's like, oh yeah, they were debating that on CNN all morning. Maybe get off your ass, Carlisle. He can't bear the thought of one sickly little skinny boy during the bloody Spanish flu getting sick oh no, I've got to save this one boy's life. And then yet 50 people are dying in Seattle and he's like, not even blinking an eye. What's happened to him? And Carlisle tells us, I'm concerned. We've never involved ourselves in this kind of thing before. It's not our business. We aren't the Volturi. How do you not care? Like, I know you've never been involved before, but you are a bit of a busybody. Rosalie getting gang raped and dying on the street. That wasn't your business either. Esme throwing herself off that cliff. That wasn't your business either. And now you've got 50 vampires running around the next town over and that's not your business. I think it might be your business. I can't think of anything more that could be your business. And Edward's like, well, I don't want the Volturi to come. That gives us less reaction time. And Esme, she pipes up and she's like, oh yeah, and all the innocent humans in Seattle. It's not right to let them die as well. And everyone's like, oh yeah, 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 that too. And then suddenly Edward looks at Jasper and he says, oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, you're right. That has to be it. Well, that changes everything. And then everyone's like, uh, can you fill us in? We're not all mind readers. So they're all looking at him confused. And Jasper's like, well, you guys can all wait. Let me explain my whole backstory to Bella first. We've got all the time in the world. Let me just sit Bella down and give her the tea. And so he says, you can all be patient. Bella should understand this too. She's one of us now. And Bella is shocked by Jasper being so nice to her, maybe because he did try and kill her. She says, as little as I'd had to do with Jasper, as little as she's had to do with him, didn't she camp out in like a Phoenix motel with him for like a week? You're telling me they didn't bond in that Motel 6? She says, as little as I'd had to do with Jasper, especially since my last birthday when he tried to kill me. (laughs) I love that she slots that in there. I hadn't realized that he thought of me that way as one of them. I mean, At the end of the last book, he did take a vote and he voted yes for you becoming a vampire and joining his family. So I don't know what more he needs to do to prove to you that he thinks of you as one of them, but whatever, she's, 
oh, always so surprised by the actions and words of others. So Jasper's like, all right, well, I'm going to tell you a story, little lass. And he starts rolling up the arms of his sweater. And she's like, what's he doing here? Is he, is he stripping? And then she says, it took me a minute to understand why these raised crescent marks on his pale skin looked strangely familiar. And she says, oh, Jasper, you have a scar exactly like mine. Referring to the scar that James gave her on her hand. And he says, I have lots of scars like yours, Bella. I'm not too sure at this point why he does have lots of scars. I thought since he's a vampire, his skin should be perfect. But I guess what they're saying is that vampires bit him after he was already a vampire. So that's why his skin didn't go back to perfect. But should vampire venom really work on him enough to leave a scar? Beats me. But she's looking at his arms and there's heaps of scars on it. Heaps of heaps of teeth marks. And she says, Jasper, what happened to you? And that's the end of the chapter. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know what? We haven't been talking for that long. So let's just get into the next chapter, Newborn, because it's basically Jasper just telling his story. I feel like we're there. Let's discuss it. So Jasper says, what happened to me is the same thing that happened to you. Repeated a thousand times. Our venom is the only thing that leaves a scar. Okay. So there's that. There's venom. They leave scars. All right. We're learning. And she's staring at his subtly ravaged skin. Would we call it subtle? I don't know if we'd call that subtle to have thousands of bite marks on your arm, but yeah, okay, let's call it subtle. And Jasper says, I didn't have quite the same upbringing as my adopted siblings. And he says, before I tell you my story, you must understand that there are places in our world, Bella, 
where the lifespan of the never aging is measured in weeks and not centuries. And everyone else is so fucking bored. Carlisle and Emmett, they sit down, they watch the TV. They're like, oh, we've heard it all before. We're not interested. Tell your story, Walk and Jasper. And Jasper says, there are places in this world that are more desirable to us than others. Places where we can be less restrained to avoid detection. He says, picture, for instance, a map of the Western Hemisphere. Picture on it every human life as a small red dot. The thicker the red, the more easily we can feed without attracting notice. Okay, just the Western Hemisphere? We don't have anything on the Eastern Hemisphere? There aren't any vampires over there? What an odd distinction to make. So, yep, large chunks of Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, Pacific Islands. We don't have vampires. Woohoo, we're safe. Oh, but the Western Hemisphere. Oh, vampires everywhere. I guess vampires don't know how to travel. Oh, no, wait, they do because we've seen Edward catch multiple flights. Then he says, not that the covens in the South care much for what the humans notice or do not. It's the Volturi that keep them in check. They are the only ones the Southern covens fear. If not for the Volturi, the rest of us would be quickly exposed. Okay, when he says South, what is that? What is that? Is he talking about the Southern Hemisphere or is he just talking about like Southern America? Or is he just talking about South America or South of America? Is he talking about like Texas? I don't know. I don't think Jasper, for someone who's gone to high school multiple times, has done a lot of geography. He's telling us the North, by comparison, is very civilized. Mostly we are nomads who enjoy the day as well as the night who allow humans to interact with us unsuspectingly. It's a different world in the South. The immortals there come out only at night. They spend the day plotting their next move. What's, what's, what is going on here? I think because he's a Civil War bro, he's just talking about North and South still in the Civil War terms. That's what I'm going to think. Unless he's actually talking about Argentina. I don't know. So Bella says, well, what are everyone in the South fighting for? And he says, remember the map with the red dots? Remember the imaginary map of just the Western Hemisphere? Remember that? He says, they fight for control of the thickest red. Okay. Okay, so he brings up Mexico City as an example of a spot with thick red. So I guess that's the South that he's talking about. When he uses the term South, he's talking about everything from Nicaragua up. So apparently a bunch of people cottoned on to the fact that if they went to Mexico City, they could feed more often without getting noticed. But then, of course, you know, everyone's showing up in Mexico City with the same idea. So then fights ensued. He says the most effective one (laughs) was a young vampire named Benito. And you just know that someone with the name Benito is up to no good. So Benito moved his way down from Mexico, massacring all the covens he could find, and then he kept expanding his territory. And he did that with an army of newborn vampires. Oh, oh, it's quite the story, isn't it? I feel like all we've gotten in Eclipse so far are various stories. We had Rosalie telling her story. We've had the Quileute telling stories. Now we've got Jasper telling stories. I'd kill for some more plot movement. I really would, but oh, backstory, the house down boots. So apparently very young vampires are volatile, wild, and almost impossible to control. So yeah, you've got that to look forward to, Bella. Have some self-reflection here. She doesn't reflect on that. She doesn't worry about becoming a newborn. She's oblivious to the fact that she should be applying this story to her own personal life. He says, one newborn can be reasoned with, taught to restrain himself, but 10, 15 together, they're a nightmare and they will kill each other off as easily as on the enemy you point them at. So Benito, he had to keep making more as they fought amongst themselves. 
So newborns are dangerous. They're incredibly physically powerful for at least the first year, but they can be killed if you know what you're doing. So the other vampires in Southern Mexico, again with the South, So the other vampires in Mexico, they're cottoning on to what Benito is gonna do to them. So they start making newborn armies of their own and all hell breaks loose. He says, when the body count reached epidemic proportions, in fact, your histories blame a disease for the population slump, the Volturi finally stepped in. Oof, you read that differently in a post COVID world, don't you? So the Volturi came in and they sought out every newborn in the bottom half of North America. Okay, so now he's calling it the bottom half of North America. So is it the South? Is it the North? Like, can we get that map back up, that imaginary map? Can we redraw that for a second and really clarify where we're talking about? So the Volturi are ravaging the Southern part of the North and cleaning up all the newborns. It took the Volturi a year, but they did it. And he says it was enough that the fever for conquest did not spread from the South. The rest of the world stayed sane. So so it's the South. We owe the Volturi for our present way of life. So he's kind of really pro Volturi. And she's a bit like, oh, he seems to really like the Volturi. So of course the newborn as an army idea didn't disappear straight away. The Volturi were gone, but the people making newborn vampires, they just sort of selected them a bit more carefully and then trained them up a bit more. And because they did that, the Volturi never came back. But then there'd be more wars and then the Volturi would come back and they'd clean everything out again. Just lather, rinse, repeat. But the Volturi would let some of them continue. The careful ones continue. And Bella goes, that's how you were changed. And he's like, yes, bitch, that's how I was changed. Because Jasper was just staring off into space, just like, really hamming it up being like, enter Jasper. And Bella picked up on it and she she gasps in realization. And he's like, yeah, bitch. And so he says, yes, when I was human, I lived in Houston, Texas, baby. I was almost 17 years old when I joined the Confederate army. So 16 years old, but he lied to the recruiters and told them he was 20. I was tall enough to get away with it, he says. So this guy, he's 16, but looks old enough to be accepted for 20. So why now that he's a vampire, is he still going to high school and pretending to be a teenager? Why? You already got away with aging up yourself before. Why would you not just pretend to be a young looking 20 year old now that you have eternal life? I don't understand why you're at Forks High. So he says his military career with the Confederate army was quite promising because people gravitated towards his charisma. And he reckons that's because of his eventual gift at being able to alter people's moods. He says, there was a part of that inside his human form, whatever. Anyway, he's evacuating some city at some point and he finds three women on foot and he goes to offer them aid. But then he's like, oh my God, they are the most beautiful women I have ever seen. He says they had such pale skin. Mm, I remember marveling at it. Even the little black haired girl whose features were clearly Mexican was porcelain in the moonlight. Okay, all right. Um, okay. Let's unpack that a little bit. It's just, uh, okay. I, I really don't know what to say, except for the whole, all vampires are white thing is just disgusting to me. So let's just leave it at that. So he's just staring at their beauty, speechless. And the three vampire girls, they just start talking about him like he's not there. They're like, oh, check out this guy. He looks good, he's pretty young, he's strong, an officer. And there's also something more about him. Do you guys sense it? He's quite compelling. And they're like, yeah, he's pretty compelling. And so then one of them's like, all right, well, let's keep him. And then one of them's like, well, you better do it if he's important. I kill them twice as often as I keep them. 
And then, so the other one, she's like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. I really like him. Anyway, all right, well, I'll go kill him. Um, you guys watch my back while I try and do this, okay? And Jasper says, my hair was standing up on the back of my neck, though I didn't understand the meaning of anything the beautiful creatures were saying. My instincts told me that there was danger. Okay, what might have tipped it off? The fact that they pretty much said they were going to kill you? Oh, my instincts told me. Me as an empath, I sensed that they might have wanted to kill me. They were talking about killing you. They were very open about killing you. But because he was raised in a product of sexism and misogyny, let's just say it. He says, my judgment overruled my instincts. I had not been taught to fear women, but to protect them. So he's just like, not running away. Not that he could run away, but he's just like, oh, these cute little girls, they're not going to do me any harm, even though they're talking about killing me. So then the two girls, they say, all right, we'll go and hunt. And then they like run off. And he's like, oh, wow, they're moving quite quick. Still hasn't gotten on to the fact that they're vampires. So then there's Maria and Maria's like, what's your name, soldier? And he's like, my name's Jasper. And she's like, well, I really hope you survive. I have a good feeling about you. And Jasper's still thinking, hmm, I bet she's probably going to kill me. Maybe I have a hunch she might kill me. And then she goes up and she bites him. And then Jasper's like, oh, she doesn't need to hear about the turning process. So he says a few days later, I was introduced to my new life. So he says the three women, they were Maria, Nettie and Lucy. They hadn't been together long. They were all survivors of recently lost battles and Maria grouped them together and there was a partnership of convenience. So Maria, she wanted a superior army so that she could get revenge and get her territories back. And so she was selecting humans that had special qualities so she could have this super vampire army. So there was about 10 of them. They were all male because Maria only wanted soldiers and Jasper was doing quite well. He says Maria was pleased with him. He was rewarded often and that made him stronger. I don't know what he was rewarded with. I'm assuming just blood, but maybe a little bit of nookie. Who knows? He says his ability to control the emotional atmosphere around him was vitally effective. And he was able to help the newborn vampires cooperate because of that. He says Maria grew quite fond of him. He worshipped the ground she walked on. I'm thinking that they were banging. He doesn't say it. But I'm reading between the lines here and I'm thinking Maria and Jasper, they banged. So Jasper, he pulls together an army of 23 newborn vampires and they attack one of her former territories. They had nine newborns on the other side, but they were able to overpower them. So then success made Maria greedy and she wanted to expand to more and more cities. And so in that first year, she extended her control to cover most of Texas and Northern Mexico, not Southern Mexico just Northern Mexico. But then the others came from the South to dislodge her. So that's Southern Mexico. Okay. But we're still operating in the Western hemisphere, just to be clear. So the fighting grew more intense. And then people were like, shit, the Volturi is probably going to come and break this up. Of the initial 23 newborns, Jasper was the only one to survive the first 18 months. Nettie and Lucy eventually turned on Maria, but they won that fight. He says the idea of conquest was dying out. It was all mostly about vengeance and feuding now. He says so many had lost their partners and that is something our kind does not forgive. Yeah, we know. So this goes on for decades. And then he says decades later, I developed a friendship with a newborn who'd remained useful and survived his first three years. His name was Peter. He was civilized. He didn't enjoy the fight, but he was good at it. So then it was time to replace the newborns by purging the current ones out and Peter was going to help him. 
So they were halfway through that job. And then Jasper, empath Jasper, he sensed that something was going on with Peter. And basically, Peter was shacking up with one of the newborn vampires. And Peter obviously didn't want to purge his new vampire girlfriend. So he was like, run, run. And Jasper, he could have killed them both, but he didn't. He just let them run. And then five years later, Peter came back to, I don't know, rescue Jasper. This is all getting pretty convoluted. So in that time, Jasper had been getting depressed. And he also began to notice a change in Maria's emotions. There was fear, there was malice. And he was thinking, hmm, it's probably going to come to a head eventually. So he's like mentally getting prepared to try and fight Maria. But then Peter comes back and Peter's like, hey, guess what? We've got a great life up north. North. So Peter and Charlotte, they've been living and coexisting without the constant mayhem. And he's like, well, isn't that quaint? Jasper says he was relieved. He didn't want to have to kill Maria, but he had been with her for as many years as Carlisle and Edward had been together by that point. But he says the bond between us was nowhere near as strong. When you live for the fight for the blood, the relationships you form are tenuous and easily broken. I don't know about that. Every war movie I've ever watched tells me that you bond in battle. So I don't know what he's talking about. So Jasper leaves. He goes with Peter and Charlotte for a bit but he's still depressed and he doesn't know what's wrong. So he thinks in so many years of slaughter and carnage, I'd nearly lost all of my humanity. But he says every time he would kill someone, he could sense their emotions. He could feel everything his prey was feeling and he lived their emotions as he killed them. And then he says, I wonder Bella if you realize how feelings in a room can affect me. Oh, poor Jasper. Poor Jasper having to experience emotions while he kills people. How unfortunate for Jasper to have to feel a fraction of the fear that his prey are feeling as he kills them. So no wonder he's depressed. So then he leaves Peter and Charlotte and he tries to wean himself off from killing people, but then he gets thirsty and what's a boy to do? So then he's in Philadelphia. There was a storm and he was out during the day, which he's not very comfortable with, maybe because he glistens in the sun. So he ducks into this half empty diner and he goes to sit down and there's Alice. She was expecting him. So she hops down from this high stool at the counter and walks right up to him. And she's like, hey, hey, Jasper, what's going on? You kept me waiting. And he's like, excuse me, who the fuck are you? And then Alice info dumps at Jasper being like, I saw you coming. There's this family up north and up north and they don't eat people. So, okay. So then Alice joins in on telling the story and she's like, yeah, Jasper and I just rocked up and moved on in. Edward's like, yeah, you greeted us all by name and you knew everything about us and you knew what room you wanted to move into. Edward says, when I got home, all my things were in the garage. Hilarious. Alice says, well, yeah, your room had the best view and they all laugh and laugh and laugh. And Bella says, oh, that's a nice story. And everyone's like, bitch, what? Like, were you even listening to all of the murder and mayhem and massacres? And she's like, oh, the happy ending part with Alice, I mean. And Jasper's like, yeah, Alice is the best. So then Alice is like, an army? Why didn't you tell me? Why does she need to be told? You you can see what room is the best room in a house you've never been to. And you have to be told that there's an army forming. And Jasper's like, yeah, I was suspecting an army for a while, but I thought I must be interpreting the signs incorrectly because there's no motive. Why would someone create an army in Seattle? There's no history, no territorial fighting up in here, no vendetta. And I'm like, okay, except for the giant vendetta Victoria has. 
How quickly they forget about Victoria. I feel like they're gaslighting me with this Victoria erasure. Like he just said, vampires, we don't take kindly to losing our mate and then glossed over it. And no one thought to apply that lesson to Victoria, who we know wants to kill Bella and kill the Cullens. Wake up. And Jasper's like, yeah, I think there's no other explanation than that there's an army of newborn vampires in Seattle. And it's only going to get worse until the Volturi step in. And I'm surprised they've let it go on this long. Me too. Me too. So they're all thinking like, oh God, what, what is their end game? What do they want? And Edward, he's like, uh, duh, maybe it's us. Maybe they're creating an army to combat us. And Carlisle's eyes go wide, shocked. I'm starting to think Carlisle might be a little bit of a dummy. He's a few fries short of a Happy Meal. And Alice is like, oh, don't be silly. They're not coming after us. Or they don't know that they are, not yet. And so that's how she hasn't seen it because they, oh, they haven't decided to attack us yet. I was like, well, shut the fuck up, Alice. And then Edward's like, Alice, what are you trying to see? What are you remembering? Just asking her questions instead of reading her mind. And Alice says, oh, it's flickers. I can't see a clear picture. I can't see anything concrete, just concert tickets. I'm seeing concert tickets and a newspaper ad with a phone number on it. I'm getting these strange flashes. She can't make sense of it. And Jasper's like, it's indecision. Indecision means you can't see, Alice. And Edward's like, no, it's knowledge. Someone who knows you can't see anything until a decision is made. So, God, this is ridiculous. Someone is hiding it from us, playing with the holes in your vision. So the very fact that someone has decided to not decide anything, is that not a decision? Oh, geez, Louise. And Alice is like, who would know that? And Edward's like, ah, the Volturi. Like, Arrow touched your hand, so he's experienced every thought and vision you've ever experienced. So then they're thinking maybe the Volturi is using a third party to not get their own hands dirty. And Rosalie, she pipes up like she's been there the whole time. Like, welcome to the party, Rosalie. Rosalie's like, maybe it's someone in the South. Oh, someone in the South. Someone in the South. Someone who had already had trouble with the rules. That would explain the Volturi's sluggish response because the Volturi are kind of happy with it. And then Edward, he's like, yep, that explains everything. Arrow in his head, he saw me at one side with Alice on the other. The power of the idea intoxicated him. He was also jealous and fearful of Carlisle's growing family. The idea of ridding out the competition was there. Besides their own, ours is the largest coven they've ever found. Okay, I mean, is it really that big? There's seven of them. Like, that's, that's not a lot of people. I swear Jasper just told us stories and stories of groups of 30 and 40, but ours is the largest coven they've ever found. Oh, jeez Louise. And then Carlisle says, well, the Volturi would never break their own rules. And Edward's like, mm, I think they would. Carlisle really is the dummy. Like, I'm really coming around on the Carlisle's an idiot theory. And then Jasper's like, no, Carlisle's probably right. It's probably not the Volturi. The Volturi don't break rules. Oh God, we're just going around in circles. And Jasper's like, the Volturi probably aren't involved, but they might be. And then Emmett, God bless Emmett. He says, well, what the fuck are we waiting for guys? Let's just go and check it out instead of just conjecturing. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Emmett. So then Carlisle and Edward exchange a long glance and then Edward nods. And so then they're like, all right, Jasper, teach us everything about newborns. Teach us how to kill newborns. Like, why has it not come up prior? I don't know. 
We've been getting newspaper articles about the gang violence in Seattle for weeks. For weeks, for months, probably. I don't know because my narrator doesn't know what the date is, so I'm a bit unsure on the timeline as well. It's hard to get a firm grasp on what date it is when you've got an unreliable narrator, but I think it's been weeks or a month or two that there's been gang violence and they never once thought, hey Jasper, do you want to tell us about these newborns? Edward had already told us that they thought it was newborns, they just didn't think it was a newborn army. Oh, they're so silly. So naive. So Jasper's like, well, we might need some help, so let's go call Tanya and ask her coven if they want to lend us a hand from Alaska. So Carlisle calls Tanya, but it doesn't go well because Carlisle's on the phone and he's like, oh, um, we didn't realise Irina felt that way. Okay. All right, toodaloo, bye. So apparently they're pissed off about Laurent. So after James died, Laurent went and lived with Tanya's family in Alaska and I guess he shacked up with Irina pretty quick. She tells us Laurent had been with them for almost a year previous to his death And I know we have an unreliable narrator, but I don't know if that checks out. A whole year? Between him leaving James and then him getting killed by the wolves in the meadow? Is that a whole year? It seems like it was more six months. I know we had the month time lapse in New Moon, so that did take up a large chunk. But the timeline, I just, I struggle. I struggle. Because apparently awful books take place over like the span of 16 months or something. Everything moves super quick. But Laurent shacked up with Arena for a whole year. Oh, I don't know. So Carlisle gets off the phone and he says, Arena was more involved with our friend Laurent than we knew. Like, okay, is it your business to know how deep they were as butt buddies? Like, come on. She's holding a grudge against the wolves for destroying him to save Bella. Oh, a vampire with a grudge against the wolves. Who would have thought? How novel. Also, how does she know that the wolves killed him? Who told her? I can't think of a single reason how she would know that. So Arena wants revenge against the pack and, and asked Carlisle for permission. And Bella's like, no, you can't. <laughs> like Hermione and Harry Potter. No, you can't. You understand right, Harry? Once I make my move, the queen will take me. Then you're free to check the king. No, Ron, no. What is it? He's going to sacrifice himself. No, you can't. There must be another way. Do you want to stop Snape from getting that stone or not? And Carlo's like, oh God, don't worry, Bella. Can Bella calm down, please? Of course I didn't agree to that. We have a treaty. See, this is why you have treaties. And Jasper's like, oh, that's not good. We'd probably win, but there'd be casualties. And then she's like, oh no. No, you can't. There must be another way. I wanted to scream out loud as I grasped what Jasper meant. Oh, as she grasped what he meant. It's not that hard to understand what he meant. Some of them are going to die. She's been worried about them dying for ages. She's worried about Esme patrolling her house at night in the rain. And now she's like, oh no, some of them are going to die. No, you can't. There must be another way. And she's like, I looked around the room at their faces, Jasper, Alice, Emmett, Rose, Esme, Carlisle, Edward, the faces of my family. And that's the end of the chapter. They're not your family. Charlie and shitty Renee are your family. These are just your boyfriend's family that you met like a year ago. So, okay, let's take a chill pill on the whole. Oh no, my family. Oh, she's annoying. Okay, well, that was Jasper's story. Hopefully we get some more plot momentum happening in the next few chapters. I'll see you guys next week. 
for another disappointment, probably. See you then. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.